Chapter Seventeen of A Little Princess by Frances Hodgson Burnett. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Seventeen of A Little Princess. It is the child. The next afternoon, three members of the large family sat in the Indian gentleman's library, doing their best to cheer him up. They had been allowed to come in to perform this office because he had specially invited them. He had been living in a state of suspense for some time, and to-day he was waiting for a certain event very anxiously. This event was the return of Mr. Carmichael from Moscow. His stay there had been prolonged from week to week. On his first arrival there, he had not been able satisfactorily to trace the family he had gone in search of. When he felt at last sure that he had found them, and had gone to their house, he had been told that they were absent on a journey. His efforts to reach them had been unavailing, so he had decided to remain in Moscow until their return. Mr. Carrisford sat in his reclining chair, and Janet sat on the floor beside him. He was very fond of Janet. Nora had found a footstool, and Donald was astride the tiger's head, which ornamented the rug made of the animal's skin. It must be owned that he was riding it rather violently. "'Don't cheer up so loud, Donna,' Janet said. "'When you come to cheer an ill person up, you don't cheer him up at the top of your voice. Perhaps cheering up is too loud, Mr. Carrisford,' turning to the Indian gentleman. But he only patted her shoulder. "'No, it isn't,' he answered. "'And it keeps me from thinking too much.' "'I'm going to be quiet,' Donald shouted. We'll all be as quiet as mice. Mice don't make a noise like that, said Janet. Donald made a bridle of his handkerchief and bounced up and down on the tiger's head. A whole lot of mice might, he said cheerfully. A thousand mice might. I don't believe fifty thousand mice would, said Janet severely. And we have to be as quiet as one mouse. Mr. Carrisford laughed and patted her shoulder again. Papa won't be very long now she said may we talk about the lost little girl i don't think i could talk much about anything else just now we like her so much said nora we call her the little unfairy princess why the indian gentleman inquired because the fancies of the large family always made him forget things a little it was janet who answered it is because though she is not exactly a fairy she will be so rich when she is found that she will be like a princess in a fairy tale. We called her the fairy princess at first, but it didn't quite suit. Is it true, said Nora, that her papa gave all his money to a friend to put in a mine that had diamonds in it, and then the friend thought he had lost it all, and ran away because he felt as if he was a robber? But he wasn't really, you know, put in Janet hastily. The Indian gentleman took hold of her hand quickly. No, he wasn't, really, he said. I am sorry for the friend, Janet said. I can't help it. He didn't mean to do it, and it would break his heart. I am sure it would break his heart. You are an understanding little woman, Janet, the Indian gentleman said, and he held her hand close. Did you tell Mr. Carrisford? Donald shouted again. About the little girl who isn't a beggar? Did you tell him she has new nice clothes? Perhaps she's been found by somebody when she was lost. There's a cat, exclaimed Janet. It's stopping before the door. It is Papa. They all ran to the windows to look out. 
Yes, it's Papa, Donald proclaimed. But there's no little girl. All three of them incontinently fled from the room and tumbled into the hall. It was in this way they always welcomed their father. They were to be heard jumping up and down, clapping their hands, and being caught up and kissed. Mr. Carisford made an effort to rise, and sank back again into his chair. It is no use, he said. What a wreck I am. Mr. Carmichael's voice approached the door. No children, he was saying. You may come in after I have talked to Mr. Carisford. Go and play with Ramdas. Then the door opened and he came in. He looked rosier than ever, and brought an atmosphere of freshness and health with him. But his eyes were disappointed and anxious as they met the invalid's look of eager question, even as they grasped each other's hands. What news? Mr. Carisford asked. The child the Russian people adopted. She's not the child we're looking for, was Mr. Carmichael's answer. She is much younger than Captain Crewe's little girl. Her name is Emily Carew. I have seen and talked to her. The Russians were able to give me every detail. How wearied and miserable the Indian gentleman looked. His hand dropped for Mr. Carmichael's. Then the search has to be begun over again, he said. That is all. Please sit down. Mr. Carmichael took a seat. Somehow he had gradually grown fond of this unhappy man. He was himself so well and happy, and so surrounded by cheerfulness and love, that desolation and broken health seemed pitifully unbearable things. If there had been the sound of just one gay little high-pitched voice in the house, it would have been so much less forlorn, and that a man should be compelled to carry about in his breast the thought that he had seemed to wrong and desert a child was not a thing one could face. "'Come, come,' he said in his cheery voice. "'We've found her yet.' "'We must begin at once. No time must be lost,' Mr. Carisford fretted. "'Have you any new suggestions to make?' any whatsoever mr carmichael felt rather restless and he rose and began to pace the room with a thoughtful though uncertain face well perhaps he said i don't know what it may be worth the fact is an idea occurred to me as i was thinking the thing over in the train on the journey from dover what was it if she is alive she is somewhere yes she is somewhere we have searched the schools in paris let us give up Paris and begin in London. That was my idea, to search London. There are schools enough in London, said Mr. Carisford. Then he slightly started, roused by a recollection. By the way, there is one next door. Then we will begin there. We cannot begin nearer than next door. No, said Carisford. There is a child there who interests me, but she is not a pupil and she is a little dark forlorn creature as unlike poor crew as a child could be perhaps the magic was a work again at that very moment the beautiful magic it really seemed as if it might be so what was it that brought ram dass into the room even as his master spoke salaaming respectfully but with a scarcely concealed touch of excitement in his dark flashing eyes sahib he said the child herself has come the child the sahib felt pity for she brings back the monkey who had again run away to her attic under the roof i have asked that she remain it was my thought that it would please the sahib to see and speak with her who is she inquired mr carmichael 
God knows, Mr. Carrisford answered. She is the child I spoke of, a little drudge at the school. He waved his hand to Ram Dass and addressed him. Yes, I should like to see her. Go and bring her in. Then he turned to Mr. Carmichael. While you have been away, he explained, I have been desperate. The days were so dark and long. Ram Dass told me of this child's miseries, and together we invented a romantic plan to help her. I suppose it was a childish thing to do, but it gave me something to plan and think of. Without the help of an agile, soft-footed oriental like Ram Dass, however, it could not have been done. Then Sarah came into the room. She carried the monkey in her arms, and he evidently did not intend to part from her if it could be helped. He was clinging to her and chattering, and the interesting excitement of finding herself in the Indian gentleman's room had brought a flush to Sarah's cheeks. "'Your monkey ran away again,' she said in her pretty voice. "'He came to my garret window last night, and I took him in because it was so cold. I would have brought him back if it had not been so late. I knew you were ill and might not like to be disturbed.' The Indian gentleman's hollow eyes dwelt on her with curious interest. "'That was very thoughtful of you,' he said. Sarah looked toward Ram Dass, who stood near the door. "'Shall I give him to the Lascar?' she asked. "'How do you know he is a Lascar?' said the Indian gentleman, smiling a little. "'Oh, I know Lascars,' Sarah said, handing over the reluctant monkey. "'I was born in India.' The Indian gentleman sat upright so suddenly and with such a change of expression, that she was for a moment quite startled. "'You were born in India?' he exclaimed. "'Were you? Come here!' And he held out his hand. Sarah went to him and laid her hand in his, as he seemed to want to take it. She stood still, and her green-gray eyes met his wonderingly. Something seemed to be the matter with him. "'You live next door?' he demanded. "'Yes, I live next door at Miss Minchin's seminary.' "'But you are not one of her pupils.' A strange little smile hovered about Sarah's mouth. She hesitated a moment. "'I don't know exactly what I am,' she replied. "'Why not?' "'At first I was a pupil and a parlor boarder, but now—' "'You were a pupil. What are you now?' The queer little sad smile was on Sarah's lips again. "'I sleep in the attic next to the scullery maid.' she said. I run errands for the cook. I do anything she tells me, and I teach the little ones their lessons. Question her, Carmichael, said Mr. Carrisford, sinking back as if he had lost his strength. Question her. I cannot. The big, kind father of the large family knew how to question little girls. Sarah realized how much practice he had had when he spoke to her in his nice, encouraging voice. What do you mean by, at first, my child? he inquired when i was first taken there by my papa where is your papa he died said sarah very quietly he lost all his money and there was none left for me there was no one to take care of me or to pay miss minchin carmichael the indian gentleman cried out loudly carmichael we must not frighten her mr carmichael said aside to him in a quick low voice and he added aloud to sarah so you were sent up into the attic and made into a little drudge that was about it wasn't it there was no one to take care of me said sarah there was no money i belonged to nobody how did your father lose his money the indian gentleman broke in breathlessly he did not lose it himself 
Sarah answered, wondering still more each moment. He had a friend he was very fond of. He was very fond of him. It was his friend who took his money. He trusted his friend too much. The Indian gentleman's breath came more quickly. The friend might have meant to do no harm, he said. It might have happened through a mistake. Sarah did not know how unrelenting her quiet young voice sounded as she answered. If she had known, she would surely have tried to soften it for the Indian gentleman's sake. The suffering was just as bad for my papa, she said. It killed him. What was your father's name? The Indian gentleman said. Tell me. His name was Ralph Crewe, Sarah answered, feeling startled. Captain Crewe. He died in India. The haggard face contracted, and Ram Dass sprang to his master's side. Carmichael, the invalid gasped. It is the child, the child. For a moment Sarah thought he was going to die. Ram Dass poured out drops from a bottle and held them to his lips. Sarah stood near, trembling a little. She looked in a bewildered way at Mr. Carmichael. What child am I? she faltered. He was your father's friend. Mr. Carmichael answered her. Don't be frightened. We have been looking for you for two years. Sarah put her hand up to her forehead, and her mouth trembled. She spoke as if she were in a dream. And I was at Miss Minchin's all the while, she half whispered. Just on the other side of the wall. End of chapter 17